Welcome to our weekly classified Rayman Intelligence audio brief. Over the next few minutes, Wesley from Super SE is going to share with you the most important survival intelligence stories that have occurred over the past week from the Gray Man Briefing. This timely and concise reporting will help you to stay sharp and be well ahead of the knowledge curve so that you can be better prepared for what's coming down the road. All right, Wes, take it away. All right, thanks, David. So we'll get right into the brief. From the Gray Man Briefing, this is a weekly recap of news and developments for your situational awareness, as always, with the bottom line up front. All right, so I'm going to be skimming back over some of the recent coverage that the Gray Man Briefing has posted. We're going to start today with the Second Amendment. So a federal court, this is the U.S. District Court of Southern California, they have ruled that California's assault weapons ban is unconstitutional. The court said that the Second Amendment to the United States Constitution guarantees the individual right to possess and carry weapons in case of confrontation. The court further said that it's up to judges to interpret the Constitution based on the text and original understanding of the relevant provision, and not on public policy considerations or worse, fear of basically public criticism from political branches. Uh, the court specifically pointed out that criticism from political branches. So even though it's been ruled unconstitutional and the court said, you know, it shouldn't be about criticism from political branches, the governor of California responded by saying that the, the judge who made that ruling is radical, extreme, logically incoherent. He also called the judge a right-wing NRA puppet and extremist. Moving on over in New York City, the U.S. District Court has found that New York City's laws, the ones that came as a response to that uh, landmark Bruin case, he, he found that the laws were unconstitutional. Specifically, he looked at the city's use of determining good moral character or other good cause as being, quote, broad and unrestrained discretionary standards which have no historical underpinning in our country. The judge further said that they failed to pass constitutional muster because of the magnitude of discretion afforded to city officials in denying an individual their constitutional right to keep and bear arms. And nationally, after a federal court ruled back in January that Congress must cure the ambiguity as defining what a machine gun is and that it's not up to the courts to do it, so Congress has to decide what a machine gun is and not the federal courts. This all relates back to bump stock devices which finally, after saying they would not, the U.S. Supreme Court has now agreed to decide the legality of that ATF rule that banned bump stock devices. SCOTUS is also going to decide the legality of how the government overreached in an effort to influence commercial entities to counter the NRA, the National Rifle Association. So they're taking up two firearm-related cases. And finally, moving over to Illinois, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit has upheld the Protect Illinois Communities Act. This is the one that bans semi-automatic rifles that have fixed magazines, those magazines with 10 plus rounds, or handgun magazines with 15 plus rounds. The act, or the bill, also creates an ATF strike force, and of course bans a large number of firearm parts. So it's been upheld after 
A federal judge previously had issued a preliminary injunction blocking the enforcement of PICA. All right, we're going to shift into our censorship and privacy briefings. The Federal Communication Commission has voted to begin the process of reestablishing that net neutrality, the policies that support that, and their supporters say that it would require internet service providers to manage all online traffic equally without blocking or throttling certain content. However, opponents, they're saying that Title II of the Communications Act of 1934 could regulate ISPs as a public utility, allowing for increased government control of the internet. Separately, Judicial Watch, this is that investigative journalism organization, I think it's headed by Tom Fitton, it's filed a lawsuit against the U.S. Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the ODNI, following failures by the Freedom of Information Act request, basically their failures to respond to those FOIA requests regarding ODNI's involvement in social media censorship. Judicial Watch is seeking records from the National Counterterrorism Center and its Foreign Malign Influence Center, which they're saying this Influence Center is the new or the renewed disinformation government board, even though the DG DGB was shut down. Judicial Watch is basically saying, hey, this is doing the same thing that the DGB was, so yeah. So Judicial Watch alleges that the center pressured social media outlets to censor information under the guise of protecting the public from misinformation. And moving on, YouTube suspended the Los Angeles Police Department's official account and denied an initial appeal after the police department posted a video of an incident that happened requesting the public's assistance in identifying the suspects shortly after the account was reinstated. Eventbrite, which is that online ticketing and event lister website, it's continuing to censor events that are hosted by conservative speakers, specifically one hosted by Riley Gaines. This is the girl who was outspoken about transgender athletes competing against her you know, males competing against her. She had an event at the University of California and Eventbrite removed it and said that it violated community guidelines. And moving on, the U.S. Senate Commerce Committee has ordered the National Science Foundation, NSF, to turn over information regarding its taxpayer-funded censorship. The committee's ranking member questioned the issuance of taxpayer-funded grant money to provide counter, miss, mal, and disinformation training to colleges, schools, and organizations. The grants also allegedly aided in the development of digital tools to track and censor so-called misinformation as defined by the federal government. And now we're going to kind of shift into the Gray Man Briefing's government oversight coverage. So the DHS, they funded $40 million in research and targeting projects in the Targeted Violence and Terrorism Prevention Grant Program, that's the TVTP. One of these grants awarded $350,000 to the University of Dayton, where a seminar was put on that basically equated the viewing of Fox News, or the viewing of content of Fox News, NRA, PragerU, and Turning Point USA as foundational blocks in becoming a right, a far-right or alt-right extremist. Next, a federal judge issued an emergency restraining order against the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and the U.S. Customs Border Protection and the U.S. Border Patrol, banning them from disassembling, degrading, or tampering with razor wire, that Constantino wire, which is installed in Texas along the Mexico border. This comes after the state of Texas, along with a series of Republicans, filed a lawsuit against a Biden admin for using federal agents to destruct or deconstruct and remove such barriers. And if you go to usaspending.gov, 
a review of the government spending made public through the Federal Funding Accountability and Transparency Act revealed that from 2020 to 2023, the U.S. used taxpayer funds to further LGBT and transgender initiatives both in the U.S. and abroad. A list of the payouts filtered by using the word LGBT included over a thousand grants, 31 loans, and nine direct payments totaling 4.1 billion over that period. Okay, we're gonna kind of shift out of government oversight a little bit and move into major crime, major events, major incidences. A U.S. Senator has called on the Senate Judiciary Committee to issue a subpoena to Jeffrey Epstein's estate to provide the flight logs for his private plane. The Senator said, Given the numerous allegations of human trafficking and abuse surrounding Mr. Epstein, we've got to identify everyone who could have participated in this horrific conduct. It seems like a lot of these agencies and departments have focused on other things and focused on political opponents and citizens and mass shootings and kind of shifted everything away from working on anything dealing with all the pedophilia and rapes that occurred on Little St. James Island, which is where the Lolita Express, that private plane that took all of Epstein's friends to the island. So maybe we will get some renewed interest in investigating all of that. And we'll keep kind of going forward with just major incidents and crimes and things of interest that happen for your situational awareness. In South LA, Jefferson Park area in California uh, on October 24th, so it's a little bit ago, four masked criminals armed with blunt force weapons forced a vehicle off the road. They were using a minivan, driving a minivan, pushed it off the road. I think it was the 10 freeway. And in a vehicular assault, that purposeful crash, they then robbed that driver and fled the scene. So this is one of the things the briefing, the gray man briefing posted, and then they kind of provided a debrief, kind of some analysis and tips. The briefing is, you know, it's about keeping you up to date on trends and developments, but also giving you situational awareness and preparedness and ideas for responding and reacting to certain things. So under some of these, you'll find a lot in their debrief to just kind of give some guidance. Uh, we won't go into that here on the podcast just for time. Also in LA, California, a suspected arson fire has led to the indefinite closure of parts of Interstate 10. The fire over the last weekend is believed to have been caused, or is believed to have caused some structural damage to raised sections of that road. More than a million people, well more than a million people, have already been diverted mostly onto residential roads. I think that road, that area, sees about 292,000 vehicles traverse it daily. The Federal Highway Administrator advised that it's too early to tell um, if it's going to be closed for weeks or months. Also last month, it was October 23rd, the Louisiana Department of Traffic Development reported a major multi-vehicle crash involving over 150 vehicles due to heavy fog conditions. It killed seven, injured at least 25, and caused an 11-mile traffic jam. And again, this is one of those where some tips and guidance was provided in the debrief section. In South Carolina, a man on November 3rd attempted to make entry into the grounds of the Oconee Nuclear Station. He was blocked by activated security barriers. These are probably those pop-up ones that come out of the ground. He then fled initially and traveled down a fire break, a little dirt road where security intervened again. The suspect drove through a security fence and attempted to strike a security guard, fled the scene, and ended up on private property where an armed homeowner fired at least one shot to deter the suspect. Suspect fled again. I think he abandoned his vehicle, 
haven't looked back into this one, but at the time of the, the, the briefing, on the Gray Man briefing, he remained at large, um, still looking for him. They didn't want to say if it was domestic terrorism, but they did note that he had made one previous attempt to enter the nuclear power plant previously on the same day. So on the week of November 13th, President Biden and the President Xi Jinping from China will be meeting in San Francisco along with a total of 21 leaders from around the world. It's kind of a crazy scene out there. They have cleaned up all the homeless encampments, cleaned up finally all the road sidewalks, but then they replaced it with these massive fences with little gates for people to walk through when they're unlocked and able to travel freely around their city. But during the event, these gates, all these fences are locked. It basically blocks anyone on the sidewalk from getting to the road. And there's a massive amount of security going on right there, right now. This is all because of the APEC, the Asian Pacific Economic Cooperation. That summit is basically supposed to deal with trade and economic development. But um, obviously there's going to be a lot of geopolitical and conflict concerns that will be brought up. One of those things you're already seeing protest outside the Moscow Center and the Legion of Honor. All right. Well, give me a few seconds here and we're going to shift into our supply chain briefing in just a minute. Now, before we get into the rest of today's show, let's talk everyday carry. In a world full of uncertainty, what you carry on you every day matters. A tough, sharp, and versatile everyday carry knife is an indispensable survival and preparedness tool. However, most knives are either too big for everyday carry, too fragile for tough situations, or can't adapt to your changing needs. But there is a solution. After seven years of design, development, and field testing, I'm happy to announce the new MSK1 Mini Edge, the ultimate all-purpose EDC knife. Edge just blew up Kickstarter and got funded in less than two hours because Edge is not just a tough knife, but an everyday carry survival system that travels light, cuts big, adapts to your needs, is full of surprises, and is ready for any adventure. To be the first to get yours, head over to ultimatesurvivaltips.com forward slash edge or search edge knife on Kickstarter. Thank you in advance for your support. Okay, so I'm going to dig through some of the recent supply chain briefings, then we'll kind of merge into strikes, labor actions, and we'll finish up with civil unrest. So the ATF has ordered the Ultimate Training Munitions, UTM, to stop the sale of non-lethal training ammo to civilians. So as you can tell, we're talking about ammo and possible disruptions to it, and I've got a few more for you here. So there were a lot of claims that Lake City Ammo Plant in Independence, Missouri, which is owned by the government, operated by Winchester, canceled all commercial contracts and would no longer sell to civilians, which was a big deal because Lake City supplies about 30% of 223556 to the civilian market. Those are completely unverified and unconfirmed, so don't put a lot into that until something comes out that that's true. But Vista Outdoors, this is the one that manages CCI, Ammo, Spear, Remington, Heavy Shot, and Federal. They announced they'll be selling their shooting sports operations to a Czech Republic ammo manufacturer, which 
Sounds bad, yeah, I mean, it's, it's taking, you know, the U.S. operations out of it, but it doesn't necessarily mean that less ammo will be available to us here in the U.S. It's just selling out to a foreign company, which is bad. And if you didn't hear, Hornaday Manufacturing Plant had an explosion. There were quite a few ammo sellers online reporting disruptions, out-of-stock ammo, and, of course, the NSF, NSS. F confirmed that there was that increased demand, especially online. So you have a lot of things going on related to ammo. It may be something to look into as far as stocking up in case some of these developments equate even more disruptions. Finally, dealing with ammo, the Department of Commerce, they issued back on October 27th a halt of export licenses of firearms and ammunition for 90 days for all non-governmental users this means that they can't be sold overseas to civilians. So ammo can still be sold overseas to like other allied governments. Particularly, it can be provided to Ukraine and Israel. But that's 90 days and that's still going. And there's a lot of conjecture as to the reason. You know, maybe the government's wanting a better price on, you know, purchases of ammunition for the military. And by manufacturers saying no, it could be, okay, we're going to, we're going to block you from selling overseas for three months. Or it could be their stated intent, which is to prevent ammunition from getting into the hands of enemies or firearms getting to the hands of enemies because this is a, a ban on both firearms and ammo being sold overseas from the U.S. Okay, moving on, the World Bank issued their latest Commodity Markets Outlook report and instead of getting into too much detail, it's on the briefing, the basis is that a large disruption, they say a large disruption in this assessment, has projected U.S. gas prices at the pump could go up about 75%, so to about $6.56, and it's based on conflicts and geopolitical stuff going on with Lebanon, Syria, Israel, Iran, Russia, China, North Korea, Turkey. Also, the term large they used in one of their assessments, it was used as the worst case scenario estimate if the war gained increased involvement from other countries, other actors. So this is on the that large scale, which would be the worst case scenario. Okay, let's move on and kind of touch on labor actions and strikes and stuff. So unaffiliated and non-unionized employees with Walgreens and CVS, they are continuing to conduct walkouts. So not like a strike, they're not unions. They're organizing mostly on social media. It's very loosely organized. It's kind of like participate, please. Um, this happened last month. 500 Walgreens employees participated and did walkouts. This new one was being called Farmageddon. Looks like less than 300 people participated, but that's a lot of employees, primarily pharmacists, who are doing these walkouts, and they're saying they want to keep doing it. It's all about safety concerns. It's not so much about pay. So expect continued disruptions, at least at certain pharmacies. Before it was Walgreens, now they kind of added CVS. We'll see what, what's up next. So the, the big auto strikes by the United Auto Workers Union. That's pretty much over. They've all kind of reached agreements. There's still disruptions and things happening because of all that. But we're, we can kind of shift away from the coverage on that. Moving over to Portland, Oregon. Teachers at Portland Public Schools failed to reach an agreement with the Portland Association of Teachers. This means that they've moved into their third week of strikes. And that's... You know, about 15, moving on, what, 12 days or so of 
no school for the kids, not being able to go to school. And they were supposed to have some talks on the 14th of November. I'll look back and see if anything came out of that. But last I checked, strikes are continuing and kids can't go to school in Portland until the teachers and the public school system comes to an agreement. And finally, for your situational awareness, we are going to end today with our civil unrest, societal collapse, citizen action briefing. If you've listened to our civil unrest section on our podcast in the past, you know we don't have time to dig into each section. So I'm going to kind of give you the bottom line up front. If you want to read more about it, if you want to see videos and sources, that's all on www.graymanbriefing.com. That's gray with an A and they'll have more for you. So let's let's do this. Protesters in California deterred a drag queen from reading and dancing for children. I believe that was at a library. Pro-Palestinian protests see the Brooklyn Bridge and freeways closed, shots fired, and drivers attacked. Grand Central's station was also disrupted and black Hebrews were assaulted. Charges were dropped and sentencing was made against the Freedom Convoy and January 6th protesters. On November 11th, over in England, the Million March for Palestine rally commenced. 400,000 plus people hit the streets to support Palestine and Hamas's efforts to weaken Israel. In Washington, D.C. on the 4th, a related protest took place. This is the one where they attempted to break into the fences at the White House. They vandalized monuments. Moving on. In California, pro-Palestinian and pro-Israeli protesters clashed, leaving one Jewish man dead. The FBI is actively or was actively conducting a manhunt in New Jersey for a January 6er, someone who took part in the riot at the Capitol on January 6th. And this man was accused of picking up pepper spray and spraying it in the general direction of others, and they're on a manhunt in the woods for him. And again in Washington, D.C. on the 14th, about 80,000 pro-Israeli protesters took part in a march to show solidarity with the people of Israel. Protests, riots, they're picking up, they're continuing, and they, I want to say they're churning out numbers far greater than what we saw during the height of the George Floyd riots. They're by no means as violent as those riots. They are mostly just large groups of those supporting mostly Palestine. We haven't seen a whole lot of pro-Israel protest, but we're seeing hundreds of thousands turning out almost daily in various places across the U.S. We're just kind of touching on a few of them, and this just kind of shows what massive support there is for Palestine, and each riot or each protest is getting worse and worse, and, you know, Cars are being stopped, you know, beat on, vandalized, buildings are being vandalized, monuments, you know, destroyed, and it's getting worse, and I don't, I don't see it getting better anytime soon, and I'm not sure what the end, the end of all this is going to be, so just keep a note on where these protests are taking place, and avoid them, because you do not want to be in the middle of these, and that's, that's pretty much it. We definitely didn't cover even half of what the Gray Man Briefing put out from cybersecurity to health and safety, uh, you name it. There's a whole lot more, but I wanted to get these main topics out. Civil unrest, supply chain, Second Amendment, stuff like that, just just for you guys to, to keep track of what's happening out there. That's it for this podcast. Hopefully we will shoot one out again in a couple weeks. This has been Super Essy reading out Gray Man Briefing's coverage of what's happening in the world, primarily in the U.S. Take care, be safe. I'm out.
So before we head out of here, let us know what you think of these briefs by emailing us at help at ultimatesurvivaltips.com or you can contact us through our website and the home base for this podcast, ultimatesurvivaltips.com. If you'd like to be even further ahead of the preparedness curve and get daily briefs from Wes delivered privately to you, Wes is giving Survival Show podcast subscribers $1 off the normal monthly subscription cost of $5. So for only $4 a month, you can get daily intelligence briefings from Wes when you go over to graymanbriefing.com and enter code GBCUST at checkout. All right, that's about it. Thanks for joining us today. Until next time, keep it simple, be positive, and stay sharp.